0: All right. Awesome. We were so proud of them. Those kids were really excited on fire and we're so proud of the work that they're doing. We're going to preach together today. Yeah. What could possibly go wrong?
1: It's going to be great. <laughs> and ironically, it's about communication. And I think what we should do is in order to test, you know, in marriage where you're at with communication, maybe a tandem bike should be just the thing. To go a couple of miles as husband and wife on tandem bike and just see how well you're communicating Feels like as a team. As a team. idea.
0: Right. I don't know. I remember being. This is a side note. On a one time on a family vacation when I was a kid on a tandem bike, and we had my dad and my sister are both kind of Type A, need to be in charge, and so they started out on the same bike, and there was so much yelling because I can't see, and so it ended up with my sister and my dad being on the front, and my mom and I in the back because we didn't have to be in charge. So that could be, it could be very telling for your marriage if you try a tandem bike together. Well, we are wrapping up today a series that we have been in for the last month here at Homestead called Cultivate, and we've been talking about relationships. We wanted to take some time over the last month to look at scripture and talk about what it means to have healthy relationships, whether that's with your spouse, whether that's with your kids, whether that's with family members, because we all know those are the places that really our faith gets walked out. We can talk about the faith that we have in God And yet it has to be walked out in real-life application, in our patience with each other, in how we treat one another. And so we wanted to specifically take the time to talk about relationships and how can we have healthy relationships. And we've been using this word cultivate because the idea is if you want to have something healthy grow... You have to create an, an environment where it can thrive, right? Um, my garden has not been ready for anything to thrive or grow until I took the time and dug in the soil and added the right nutrients and made sure I tended to it to make sure that the right environment was there for it to grow and be healthy. And the same way, all of us want healthy relationships, right? I don't think anybody's thinking like I really like this relationship to be a train wreck, right? None of us are thinking that. We want healthy relationships, and yet a lot of times we're not taking the time to invest in the things that we need to invest in in order to cultivate something that's healthy. And so we have to be purposeful to take the time and the energy to give our relationships the things that it needs in order to cultivate health. And so today we're going to be talking about communication because I know for us, it has been one of the biggest things that we have had to really work on in our marriage. It's been one of the hardest things because we got married, and I am telling you what, it's as if we were speaking different languages. Can anybody relate to that? Like you, you're you talking, and it's like, are we saying are we are we both speaking English right now? Because the way we communicate is totally different. The way we listen is different. Um, the ways we just naturally hear things and communicate are different. Our families of origin, the families we come from. Jeff comes from a nice, calm Canadian. They all just kind of know. I come from like explosion. And then, you know, if I think it, I'm going to say it. And then next, you know, in the next hour, we'll all be fine. And so we got married, and I exploded. And he's like, I don't know what's happening right now. And he would just kind of sit there and listen to me. And I'd be like, are you, gonna, are you hearing me? And so we have just had to learn that we have to come up with a common language. And we have to figure out how that we can communicate. And specifically, we have to figure out how we're going to communicate when the stakes are higher. When we're in conflict, when there's stress, when we're hurting, when we're upset. Because those are the places that it can tend to get out of control. So communication is what we're talking about today. So we're going to share some of the things that we've learned. But first, we're going to just start with the scripture that I think is going to give us a foundation for everything we're going to be talking about today. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to the the book of James. James chapter 1 is where we're going to be. If you're new to scripture, it's kind of at the end of the New Testament. And if you're ever wondering how you should treat other people, the book of James is basically like a manual as to how to have healthy relationships. If you're ever wondering, I try and go through James every year and just kind of do a deep dive because he really gets into the nuts and bolts of how to have healthy relationships and how to treat one another. And so the scripture we're looking at today is James 119, and he gives us this really good insight. He says, understanding this, my dear brothers and sisters— you must be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. So that's going to be the threefold fundamental truth that we're talking about today. So here's how I remember it it's quick, slow, slow, right? Everybody say quick, slow, slow. Quick, slow, slow. I know, I always get it mixed up because, like, there's a dance that's slow, slow, quick, isn't there? Anybody know the foxtrot? Isn't it the foxtrot? Slow, slow, quick, quick, slow. Does, anybody know? Does anyone know the foxtrot in here? Did you not have middle school ballroom dancing, everyone? Avery, of course Avery knows. <laughs> okay, never mind. Slow, uh, quick, slow, slow. That is how we're going to remember it. So let's talk about what that means. The first thing we're supposed to do in any relationship is to be quick to listen. Quick to listen. Now, the Greek word here, because the New Testament was written in Greek, and sometimes if we look at those words, it can kind of unlock some of the history of what that word meant when the author wrote it. And the word there is takus, which means swift or speedy. It means ready, it means be ready to listen. Now, most of us are terrible listeners, would you agree? We are not at all ready to listen. We are distracted. You know, someone's talking to us and we're looking at our phones or we're doing something else or we're thinking about something else. And it's where most of us are not. Are you giving me a look like (laughs) you gave me like, really? Because I admit I am a terrible listener.
1: Just being a good listener.
0: Oh, okay, That's good. We can be thinking about our own things. And many of us need to learn the art of good listening. And so what James is telling is be quick to listen. Be ready to listen. When someone starts to speak to you and say something to you, get into a position of readiness of like, I need to pay attention and I need to hear what you are saying. So get in a position of readiness. That might mean you just stop what you're doing. It, means, it might mean that you give your full attention. It might mean eye contact of just, especially with my kids, I found that this is important, is that I, I can be doing all kinds of things, but I need to stop and look at them like, I'm, I'm listening to what you are saying to me, and really listen, in. this is an important thing, don't just think about what you're going to say next, because most of us do that, someone's telling us, and we're like formulating our plan while they're talking as to what we're going to say next, but instead of doing that, have a position of readiness, that's what this word means, be quick to listen, have yourself really listen and then repeat back what the person said because sometimes Jeff will say something and what I hear is not at all what he said and so this has become a good practice to say okay here's what I hear you say is and I'll say it and he'll go no that's not what I said at all right but I can catch it there instead of letting that rumble around in my head longer and longer and longer. So say back, okay, what I'm hearing you say, even if you don't agree with it, even if you don't like it, being quick to listen means that you become an active, good listener. So that's the first thing that he's talking about. And it's something that Jeff and I have had to work on from the um, beginning of our marriage. And as we've gone through counseling in the over the years, this is one thing our therapist taught us right away. And it is something that I think has been a game changer in our marriage. And he said... When you get defensive, you lose. When you get defensive, as soon as you get defensive, you lose. Because what happens when we're communicating with anyone, it might be our spouse or anyone else, when they say something and all of a sudden we think, that's not right, you, I don't do that, you, can't, you shouldn't say that, or you think I'm bad at that, you're way worse at that you know, than I am, and we can start to get defensive, and immediately no communication is going to happen. You're not going to hear anything. The other person isn't going to feel like they were understood. And so that is something that we have had to learn to practice in our marriage. Because real quick to be like, oh, really? No. Well, you do that way more than I do. And instead of doing that, stop and say, okay, I'm feeling myself get defensive. But instead, I'm going to take a deep breath. I'm going to take on a spirit of humility, which is what Christ tells us to do. And be willing to receive what the other person is saying. Being a good listener means, okay, I, I might not even agree with you, but I'm going to make sure that you're heard. I'm going to listen. I'm not going to become defensive and feel like I have to defend myself right away. I have to think we're going to get there, but first I need to listen. Say, I hear what you're saying. Help me to understand where you're coming from. That. I'm confused by what you're saying. I don't understand. Help me understand more. So not having a defensive posture will go a long way. So first, we have to be quick to listen. What was the second thing? Slow to speak. This is very unnatural for me. I get them mixed up. I tend to be quick to speak. Slow to speak, which means slow in taking the time to deliberate, to think before you talk to move forward after considering all the facts being slow to speak means you carefully consider what you're going to say what tends to happen especially in heightened emotion is the first thing that comes to your mind it, and it comes out of your mouth and you can't get it back and that's the unfortunate thing sometimes with conflict is if we're not slow to speak unfortunately We can say something that we can't take back that might just be a reaction. It might be that defensiveness coming out. Uh, When I teach the kids on Thursday nights for kids' church, I I always give an example with them. I take a tube of toothpaste, and I have them squeeze it out onto a plate or something. And so then I say to them, okay, put it back in. Put the toothpaste back in the tube. And they're like, they try. It's real messy. (laughs) Well, you can't put it back in. And that's why the Bible is very clear about being in control of what you say. Because we can ask for forgiveness. We can say, I'm sorry. We can even say, you know what, I don't even really mean that. I just kind of was looking for an arrow to throw in the moment because I was feeling defensive and I was feeling angry. But you know what? The thing with words is you actually can't take them back. They've been said. And so this is why James tells us, be slow to speak. When you feel that unkind thing come into your mouth, and it would feel really good in the moment to let it fly. Instead, wait. Be slow to speak until you know that you can speak in a way that's going to be productive, that's going to be God-honoring, that isn't going to be harsh. Reactive speaking is never a good idea. Whether it's your spouse, whether it's your kids, whether it's at your job, just talking without taking the time to be purposeful about what you're going to say is never a good idea. And James goes on to talk more about this just a little bit later in the chapter. In James one twenty six, he says, If you claim to be religious, but you don't control your tongue, you are fooling yourself and your religion is worthless. This tells us that faith in God, belief in God shows up in a lot of different ways in how we walk that out. But one of the main ways it does is that we are able to control our tongues. And what we say, we're mindful of honoring God. So we're going to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and then the last thing is slow to get angry. Now, I want to talk about this one for a little bit longer here. We tend to think of being angry as an outburst of anger, right? Slow to get angry, like, let, let you know, don't, don't explode right away. But the Greek word here is actually the word orge, and it means this. It's an intentional disposition which steadfastly opposes someone or something based on extended personal <laughs> exposure, So this word actually implies that this isn't a sudden outburst, but a growing, settled indignation. It's a slow-burning resentment. James isn't talking about outbursts of anger here. Now, we all know that's not good either. But what he's actually talking about is an internal anger that slowly grows over time. And anyone that's been married longer than five minutes is like, I know this slow burn of anger that grows over time. When we spoke four weeks ago, I talked about how Jeff takes his uh, stickers on his apple and sticks them on the side of the sink this causes a slow-burning indignation, anger inside of me. And what was so funny is after we talked about that, I think everybody sent me pictures of Apple stickers all over their house for about three weeks. So I'm glad I gave you lots of material. But here's what can happen when it might be a small behavior that you begin to build up resentment and anger. It could be a big behavior. It could be a big thing. What James is talking about here is resentment. It's that slow burn of anger that if you aren't careful to keep inventory of your heart, you can start to th- have the worst case scenario picture of your partner, of your kid, of your coworker. We can start to build our case as to how they don't care anything about me. They're the worst version of them themselves. He's talking about this inner dialogue of how you think about a person you're in a relationship with. And we all know what it's like when we feel like, especially when there's seasons of conflict, where all of a sudden you're like, my overall view of that person right now is really negative. That overall person or uh, relationship with that person is frustration. When I think about my interactions with them, it's this overall resentment and uh, frustration and anger. And this is what James is warning us against. He says, be slow to get angry. Don't focus on the worst. Stop and think about the good stuff. Think about the best. Don't let that run rampant in your mind. Don't let your relationship simply become that slow simmer of anger so that eventually when you start to open your mouth and have a conversation, you are not quick to listen. You are not slow to speak because that simmering indignation, resentment will boil over into conflict. So we have to watch this we have to watch the stories we're telling ourselves when somebody does things. It's easy to assign motive to those Apple stickers, but it's not real. And I have to stop and go, wait a minute, you know what, this, is, this isn't a character flaw. I mean, it's a slight character flaw. <laughs> but it doesn't mean that he's not a good husband. It doesn't mean that he doesn't care about our family, that he doesn't, because I can start to go, he doesn't do anything around here. I have to take care of everything. And the reality is that is False. That's false information. But I can tell myself that story and actually start to believe it. If I am not careful to guard against that quick to get angry and stop and go, wait a minute, this is, this is an annoyance for sure. But it is not indicative. And I don't need to let this start to build into something bigger than what it is. So James is saying be quick to listen, be slow to speak, and slow to get angry.
1: That's what I was gonna say. Amen. <laughs> um, I want to talk just briefly about communication in times of conflict, because if you're like me, this all sounds good, and I'm like, when thing when when the temperature is low and there's no sign of conflict, communication can happen much easier, right? But then when the emotions are heightened, and it doesn't even have to be when when you and your spouse are in an emotionally heightened maybe conflict, it can be when an outside circumstance is causing. Uh, conflict, or something is difficult, you are, you are walking through something that are causing tensions to be heightened a little bit. It can be maybe you're parenting through a difficult season with one of your kids, and that doesn't just affect your relationship with that kid, right? It, obviously, you know this. It affects your relationship with your husband or wife. Any sort of external heightened tension causes the communication thing, and I think that's why it's so... causes the communication thing to get stretched or tried or maybe just thrown right out the window, right? Because I think that's why it's so important that James says... Be quick to listen, slow to speak, because that's going to help you through these times when it would be easy to become angry, when it would be easy if there's financial stress or there's you walk through a storm in your marriage or something in your family or your career where it could be something with a friend that's outside the family that's got nothing to do with your husband or wife, but yet you see that affect your communication with them. So I want to talk a little bit about how to communicate through times of tension when the tensions are high. Um, When you're walking through some of this, or it could be when you are in conflict with your spouse, how to communicate well through that. It's something I have had to work on um, and learn over the years because, as Christy was saying, it's just really quick to get defensive, to just think about your comeback. I'm really good at a comeback. He's
0: really good at the comeback. Yes.
1: And so I've had to learn to not communicate that way. Um, And so I got a lot of what I'm about to say from a book called Crucial Conversations. Crucial Conversations. It's a great book. It is really very little about marriage, um, but the book Crucial Conversations has a lot to do with any relationship, parenting, your child, boss, employee, friend relationships, and certainly it applies to husband and wife or family relationships. It's how to communicate when the tensions are high. How to communicate when things go, um, when things would easily go off the rails. So to communicate well in any relationship, and this is one of the, one of the points that the author makes in the book, Crucial Conversations. And I'm paraphrasing a lot of what, uh, what he said. But to communicate well in any relationship, you have to build a safe environment to share knowledge. In other words, you have to build a safe environment for people to add to the conversation. So I'll put it in the context of marriage. If Christy and I are having a disagreement, we have to have a safe environment for both of us to add information and perspective and to share our thoughts and what we know about that conflict. And so we've referred to it as kind of we enter the arena. Um, And that can mean, you know, not like... Ultimate fighting arena where we're both like, <laughs> we're ready for this. We've done that too many times. But building a safe place, building a safe environment where we have to be very intentional, where we go in and we say, okay, here's what happened. Here's the conflict. Here's what I feel about this. Here's what I know about this. Here's how what you, what's happening is affecting me. Christy's able to say the th- same thing. And in that environment, it must, must, must be a safe environment for people to share. You, you're just adding information. You're just adding perspective. You're just collecting as much knowledge about this conflict or this situation as possible. And then you can begin to sort through it. So often what happens is the very first thing that somebody says in a conflict, it's just defenses are up and we're off and running in a fight. And then there's no healthy communication that is happening for could be days. It could be weeks, right? Have you ever experienced that where after a few days of fighting, we'll look at each other and be like, I don't even remember what we were fighting about to start with. But it just, it, we've gone off the rails so far that I think it maybe started with an apple sticker, and now we're talking about my mother for some reason, <laughs> and... You know, something like that. You have to have a safe environment to share information. You're both trying to gain understanding about the other person's perspective without reacting, without being combative, just gaining understanding. If you're a boss or an employee and you have a conflict at work, you need to apply the same principle. With your kids, you have to apply the same principle. Here's my view on the conflict. Here's how I'm feeling about this. Here's what I know. Now, it sounds easy, but when emotions are heightened, it is hard, right? So much breaks down in marital communication because we are unable to provide that safe place for the other person to be open and honest. It could be either the husband or the wife, and you're thinking, I am not going to say what I think or feel because I know the response. I know the reaction, and it's not worth it. Um, there are times where um, you have to recognize you must provide a safe place. Now, I'll use this as an example, and it has gone both ways. Um... There's times where Christy will say to me, you seem quiet, you seem upset, I want you to be honest with me. And in my head, I'm thinking, alert, 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 this is a trap, this is a trap, because as soon as I'm open and honest, we're off and running, right? And I'll be like, well, here's what I'm thinking, and there's been times where she's reacted poorly, like, how can you say that about me? And I'm like, okay, well, next time I'm learning, this is not a safe place, and it's going to be more prone for me, and maybe this is more husbands, than wives, depending on your personality, where you might be more apprehensive to speak up because you know it's just going to start a fight or I'm just going to hurt her feelings or it's just going to cause conflict. So, and it's happened the other way where Christy is thinking something and I'll come to her and I'll be like, you seem upset. What's wrong? And she knows I'm just trying to pick a fight. I'm just, I know what's wrong and I'm just trying to get her to say something so that we can be off and running. So she would feel the same thing. She's like, this is not a safe place for me to share what I'm feeling or thinking. However you can do it, you have to provide a safe place to share. This is important in every relationship. Parents and kids, okay. you have to be a safe place for them to share what they're thinking and feeling. You have to be a safe place for them to come home from school and said, here's what I heard at school today. Okay and be a or here's what I'm thinking or here's what my friend said or here's what I learned about in class that they said is disagreeing with the Bible or here's what I learned that was just fine in the school but yet you're telling me different. If as a parent your first reaction is to be like, what, how could you say? They're gonna learn this is not a safe place for me to be open and honest. I'll say we had to work on this early on when our parents were growing. Uh, Our parents, our kids were growing. Our parents were all grown up at this time. Our kids were growing and in school, and I remember a day because Christy is more the reactor, right? And I had to say, you're gonna need to work on your face, <laughs> your reaction face a little bit. When our cause maybe our kid, maybe Lucy, our oldest, came home and said something, and her response was a little heightened. And I said, We our goal was to be, I want our kids to always know this line of communication is open. Uh-huh. We can sort through it later, but if we're reacting harshly or oh uh, We're reacting in emotion or heightened. Our kids are going to learn, okay, I'm going to go somewhere else to talk about this because my parents are going to freak out. So marriage with your kids, with a a co-worker, just however you can have a conversation. Husbands and wives, if you want to talk about it this week, talk about this very thing. How can we provide that safe place? What are the things that I'm doing that is causing you to think this is not a safe place? How can I help? So that you can go into the arena and you can share your thoughts about the conflict and be in control of your emotions. You are in control of your emotions, or you're supposed to be. This is within your power to provide a safe opportunity to just listen. And then begin to sort through it calmly. It is possible. It is possible. This is so key in any conflict, especially in marriage, to provide that safe place. So soften your approach. Be direct, but be honest. One of the things that I've had to work on when we've gone to counseling is the counselor has said to me, there's a lot of times where I'm just not being honest, where I'm asked what I'm thinking and feeling, and I'm giving the answer that I think I'm supposed to give, and I'm just not being honest. Be open and honest. It doesn't have to be heightened emotionally. Approach your communication in a healthy way. Um, And perhaps you're sitting here today thinking maybe you're the husband or you're the wife, and you're thinking, I would love this. There's just no way. Pray about it and ask your spouse in a very calm manner, how can we together foster this relationship? It is such a key thing to provide that safe place to share information about the conflict.
0: And sometimes, I mean, we say... I'm going into the arena here because that's like our inner term, and you can come up with whatever it means for your family. But it's good because we'll—it's given us language to be able to say like when we feel ourselves starting to like, well, I can't believe you're saying that. It's like, okay, hold on. I'm just—I'm in the arena, which means it's just stating information. Like we're not going to respond, we're not going to react to each other. We're just gathering information. So sometimes just shared language is helpful, and <laughs> there are times that we're like. And then we're like, okay. And then we, we are trying so hard to not react. It was like, okay, I heard you. And then we're like, just a minute. Hold on. We're just gathering information. And so even just having that shared language has gone a long way in helping us to be able to have those conversations. One other thing that I have, one other tool that I have learned is to express a need without criticism, because we can tend to say, well, you never do this, or why can't you? Instead of thinking, a lot of times when we are wanting to communicate with someone, we're communicating, I need this. I need help around the house. I need help with the kids. I need you to talk to me more. I'm feeling isolated. I need. Th-. So it's coming from a need within me. But very often, instead of looking at it as a need, we just say, you never help me around here. You never talk to me. Why can't we ever do anything, right? And so, tip that can be really hard. Um, Instead of saying what your need is, uh, then we just say it as a criticism instead of actually thinking about the need. Now, this is hard because I typically don't know I have a need until I'm mad about it. (laughs) You agree? Like, It's not the first thing I'm thinking of is like, what do I need today? What is my emotionally healthy request from you today? No, it comes out in, I feel hurt. I feel angry. I feel frustrated. I feel isolated. I feel disconnected. So the things that I feel first can lead to... You don't ever do this because it's a heightened emotion. And so what I've learned with this concept is to, when I feel one of those things, I take a step back and say, okay, before I go to him, what do I need here? What do I need? Do I need help? Well, I promise you, um, in the past, I've just gotten frustrated and been like, you never help. It's a disaster out here. There's apple stickers everywhere, and this is the worst marriage ever. That's where it goes. Instead, learning to take a step back and go, I need help, and if I go to Jeff and say, hey, I'm, I'm feeling super overwhelmed, I really could use some help around here. Do you know the difference of <laughs> reaction? You can imagine in your home the difference because he's like, okay, what do you what do you need help with? It's such a completely different thing. It's the exact same need, but the way that I'm expressing that need, is not causing defenses to rise. And so this has been my work. I've been working on this a ton because I tend to always respond with a criticism or a frustration. So uh, for example, let's say I was feeling disconnected from Jeff. We have I feel like we haven't gone out or spent time together. I can start to feel angry and hurt and my inner dialogue is you never ask me to go do anything with you. Um, you don't care about me at all. You're not asking about my feelings. We never talk or how come we ever can go out on a date? So instead of marching in and launching, that grenade I'm learning to stop f- and first identify what do I need from Jeff to feel connected and so then I can go to him and say hey I just feel disconnected could we could we go out to dinner one night this night or this week could we could we go for a walk and talk would that be okay now the reaction there is totally different and again this takes being slow to listen and slow to speak, right? Taking the time to not just immediately react with my feeling, but taking the time to do the work in me to dig past, okay, what am I really upset about here? What do I really need? And then be slow to get angry. I think those will help you guard that uh, safety and, and help diffuse conflict.
1: And it just helps husbands not have to be mind readers because we're terrible at that, right? It's right. I'll I'll hear Christy say the apple sticker is stuck on the side of the sink, and I'll think she needs a hug. And I'll <laughs> <laughs> no, I just need to clean up after myself. I mean, I'm joking about that. Hey, I wanted to just take a few minutes as we wrap up today and also wrap up this series. Um, just kind of a principle. In the, if you want to turn your Bibles, we're going to wrap up with this in just a few minutes. Ephesians chapter four. Ephesians chapter four sums up godly relationships so well. And again, if you are, a lot of this series has been focused on marriage or parenting, and maybe you're not in that boat, that season of life, but this applies to all your relationships at work, at school, friends. But Jesus does such a good job at teaching us the way of relating to one another. And then in Ephesians, the Apostle Paul sums up godly relationships so well. So I want to highlight a couple verses just as we wrap up today. Verse 1 and 2 of Ephesians chapter 4 says this. As a prisoner for the Lord, now again, Paul was in prison when he wrote this, then I urge you, which always gives us good perspective of Paul's outlook on things. This is a guy that's in jail for the cause of the gospel, so I always kind of filter everything through. He has given everything for the cause of the gospel. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. And here it is. This applies to every relationship. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. We're going to stop there for a minute. Be completely humble and gentle and patient and bearing with one another. The word "bearing" there, the actual Greek word there, um, a lot is, is a word that defines. Um, it's really interesting because it almost it the, the word "bearing" or in some translations it has forbearing. That word there means really dealing with difficult people. Like have you ever heard someone say, oh, that person is a bear to deal with or that person is like just difficult. That's what this word is bearing with one another in love forbearing is that word that means really a lot of like this person is difficult and I'm having to work to put up with them that's kind of like it's really like scriptures acknowledging what we all know to be true there are some people that are difficult right there are people not talking about your marriage people no there are people that are (laughs) difficult to deal with and this idea of it's almost like a, a a a relational, like the side of like suffering through relationship or enduring people's difficulties. Has anyone ever had to endure someone's difficulties in a relationship? Husbands, keep your hands down. All right. So that's the idea of forbearance, to bear with others, enduring others' difficulties or weaknesses, but to do so, like Paul says, bearing with one another in love, do so patiently, Dealing with others who are difficult, who you find difficult to agree with or deal with. This can just be any relationship in our world. Our world is short on forbearance, on bearing with one another in love, right? Look at our world. It is all disagreements with people and immediately discarding them and fighting and opposition. This is how our culture is set up, to find someone who you disagree with and instantly you are at war with them. Paul is showing us that's not the way of Jesus. Mm -hmm. You bear with others. Our world is short on forbearance, but we as Christians are called to lead the way with people we find challenging. Times in our marriage where we find the other person challenging. Times when we are raising kids that they are being a challenge. We interact with them with humility, Mm -hmm. with gentleness, and patience with all humility and all gentleness and all patience. And there is a purpose for this, and this is how it kind of wraps up as we're talking about this collectively as a church. In verse 3, it says this, right after those verses we just read. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort. We've talked about this in marriage. Two become one. What God has joined together, let no one separate. Make every effort to keep that unity in your family relationships make every effort to keep that unity all the things we've been talking about all the things scripture teaches us We just have to be disciplined to remember those and make every effort to keep the unity. And in a church, this is why unity in the church is so important, because we are here for a mission and a cause. We are called to go into the world and light the dark and see the gospel move forward. And it doesn't work if we're all just bickering with each other, if we're all just in conflict with one another. Unity in the church is often preached by pastors because the pastors are saying, y'all need to be united which means you all just need to agree with me and not make my job more difficult because you're complaining about something. That's not what it's talking about. United together in mission, realizing there might be times where we find someone in the church difficult, but we make every effort in unity to remember we are called to something bigger, right? This is what Paul is talking about. And he goes on being more specific about how God has uniquely wired us all differently, given us all different gifts Men and women, God is calling and instilling them with gifts to build the church and to go into the world and preach the gospel. And so he talks about that in verse 11 and 12. Same chapter, Ephesians 4 and 11 and 12. So Christ Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets... The evangelists, the pastors, the teachers. He's talking about different gifts that he has given to different people in the church for this reason. To equip his people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. This is talking about diverse roles, diverse gifts, diverse personalities. There are ways that we disagree with one another in this room for various things going on in our world. There are ways that we are all wired differently. There are different gifts that God has given different people. You're like, I could never teach. I could never get up on stage and teach. That's fine. God has given you different gifts. God has given you the ability to hear his Holy Spirit, to hear his voice, and speak truth to those around you, to speak love and life. There is unity when we all recognize we are here called for a greater purpose, to equip, and this is an important verse in a church, to equip his people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. You know why the staff of Homestead Church is the staff of Homestead Church? Our job is to equip the people to do the work. We are here to lead teams of people to do the work of the gospel, right? This is why we are here. I tell the staff often, we are, if you're getting paid by Homestead Church, your number one job is to build teams to do the work of the ministry because you are all gifted. God is building you up as his disciples. So we are here to equip one another to do the work of the ministry. If you're just here checking out church and you're being a spectator and you're just checking it out, that's fine. But we are going to always encourage you, you need to be equipped to do the work, not just Being an usher and a greeter and singing on the worship team, those are important. But to do the work of the gospel when you leave this place, this is why we are doing this. And then finally, and here's a verse that gets quoted often um, almost as a way to uh, justify conflict, okay? Verse 15, maybe you've heard this before. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, and that is Christ. Speaking the truth in love. What happens often in churches when we get mad at somebody in our culture, I'll hear this often. It's just like, well, I'm just speaking the truth. I'm just speaking the truth. And if I don't tell people the truth, that means I don't love them. Yeah, kind of. But there is a way to speak the truth in love. So that means by reading this, there's also a way to speak the truth not in love. And we do a lot of times, we just think truth just means, well, I'm just I'm loving because I'm telling the truth. Someone's got to tell them, and so often it's our own, like, social or political or whatever agenda we're filtering everything through that we say, I'm just telling people the truth. We justify being obnoxious by saying it's in the name of truth. And what Paul is saying is, no, 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 there's a way to do this as Jesus did it. In love. And what is love? It's preferring the other person. It's doing things for the benefit and the flourishing of the other person. So, in any avenue of our world, in any arena of our culture where there's a disagreement or a conflict, we go into it and say, We know what the Bible says, but we can do it in a way that is for their flourishing. So, always think when I have to speak up for the truth, how can I do it in a way that is going to be for their? benefit for their flourishing? How can I do it in a way that's not going to cause them to be defensive and just cast out every word I'm saying? Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Unity is love. It is honesty. It is um, the the community of a church like this has to be covered in this idea of we're going to speak the truth to one another, Mm -hmm. but we're going to love one another. If there's something going on in your life and someone comes up and says, hey, I have a concern about this, it can't be like, why are you doing that? You're making us look bad. It's we want to spur each other on in love. Hey, I'm concerned about this because I love you. Talk to me about this. What's going on? This is so we will grow. We will grow as individuals and we will grow as a church. We talk often about growing as a church and it is not growing buildings or numbers or getting more people in the seats. Always it is we want this church to grow as what Paul said, a mature mm-hmm. church, mm-hmm. a mature church that gets this, that gets love and patience and speaking the truth in love because that is going to make all the difference in our world, mm-hmm. Right? A healthy, mature, loving church, all of us doing the work of the ministry, is what our world desperately needs. It is not enough for you to come to church and hear things and say, that was fun, that was nice, and now go on and not make a difference in your world. We've seen it certainly in our world and in our country this last week. Or in the last several weeks where there's all sorts of culture wars going on and all sorts of tragedies that we are mourning. The the shooting in Texas at the school and other debates about abortion and gun control. And it just takes a tragic event and it just goes off the rails. And we need what the solution is. For all of these things, now we can be involved politically and socially and, and have the government do safety things and all that. But the solution as people of Jesus Christ is always we recognize this comes when the hearts of people in our nation are changed by the power of the gospel. When there, there is evil in the world, there's people that want to do harm. And the solution is for the gospel to go out and have their lives changed. Because then the view of life is completely different right? And that's what the church is supposed to do. So if there's anything in our world that you say, oh man, this is just dark and all this tragedy and when when are we going to get this figured out? The solution is the church. The church as the hands and feet of Jesus to go out, again, be involved in having the government do things, speak out for all of these things. But heart change in the heart of men and women is what is going to cause that. And that is why we need the church to be united. We need the church to grow. Does that make sense? Can we say amen to that? Let's close in prayer today. Lord, we thank you for this. And I pray for our marriages. I pray for our families. Every relationship we have in this church, in our family, in our schools, in our workplaces, that we would lead the way in humbly loving and being truth tellers and being open and honest and doing so in an environment that causes people to flourish. Help us to have the mind of Christ in every relationship we have. I pray for marriages that are struggling today, that you would speak peace, that you would speak the life of Jesus Christ, that you would help hearts to be softened. Marriages that have years and years and years of calluses building up on their hearts because there's just so much conflict over so long. I pray that you would supernaturally open eyes, open ears, and soften hearts today so that communication can happen so that healing can take place in all our relationships. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.